Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This is the, the Lokavaga. This is actually the 13th class. The reason why I said that is I, I think I claimed that uh, Saturday's class was the 13th right in the middle. This is the 13th class. Um, and it relates directly to the Loka Sutta uh, that you've heard me teach often. I always teach it on retreat as part of the meaning of becoming. Uh, in that Sutta, the Buddha describes his view of the world right upon his awakening. And his words that he used is, I looked out on the world, and the world is aflame. Aflamed with what? Aflamed with the fires of passion. Passion is another word for desire. Further on in that sutta, the Buddha says, where there's desire, there's fear. And there's nothing more clear that's overcome the world is fear, induced fear. It's what's dividing people so radically in this country and, and across, across the world is this induced fear. And grasping after the things that we think will alleviate the fear, and all of those are rooted in ignorance. The, the, the relevance of, to today, to this suit and all the suit is, is similar to the Dandavaga that we covered a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the, these are very, very direct and strong words by the Buddha that still ring so true 2,600 years later. But he starts out, the first line is the solution to all of the world's ignorance. Do not associate with what is offensive. Do not live mindlessly. When the Buddha is talking about mindfulness or mindlessness, he's always referring to the Eightfold Path, uh, meaning the, the wise disciple develops and holds in mind is mindful of the Eightfold Path. Do not live mindlessly. Abandon fabricated views. Do not dwell in the world. That means any time we attach ourselves or use the world as a reference to who we are, we are dwelling in the world. When we desire the things of the world to define who we are, perhaps our success, or at least our own safety, we're dwelling in the world. Do not dwell in the world. Be mindful, not mindless. Again, when a Buddha is referring to mindfulness, he's, he's referring to being mindful of the Eightfold Path. Live with virtue, the middle, the middle three factors of the Eightfold Path. Live with virtue. The virtuous live happily always. The virtuous live happily always. So there's no big secret to happiness, is there? It's simply living within right speech, right action, right livelihood. The problem is that as human beings, we cannot do that moment by moment unless we understand what it means to be human. The living death of ignorance does not touch the wise who know the world is a, is a bubble. It's like a mirage. There's nothing there to grasp after. Look at the world. It is like a decorated royal chariot. It looks wonderful, doesn't it? But here, fools wander aimlessly. The wise remain detached. Here in the world, fools wander aimlessly and the wise remain detached. It doesn't mean we don't live in the world. It simply means we're not dwelling in the world. That's a tough distinction for someone who's just coming to the Dhamma. We don't understand how can we possibly do that. But that's only because we're continuing to identify ourselves or attach ourselves to the things of the world. 
detachment or de disentangling ourselves from the world is recognizing craving and clinging, the second noble truth, and abandoning that through the Eightfold Path. The wise remain detached. Those who were once mindless and now are mindful illuminate the world like a moon freed from the clouds. Those who were once hurtful and are now helpful illuminate the world like the moon freed from the clouds. The world is blinded by ignorance. It's not blinded by anything else, according to uh, the Buddha and our Dhamma practice. We're blinded by ignorance. The Buddha always referred to ignorance as a living death. And imagine living your life blinded by that living death of self-imposed ignorance. Another way that the Buddha would describe ignorance is use the metaphor of Mara, the, the malevolent god Mara, that's always out there to steal our souls and steal our minds. That's another, again, it's just a metaphor for ignorance. Like birds escaping a net, very few have true insight, true Vipassana. We went through that last, uh, last summer, that long class, and our retreat coming up is, is on Vipassana. Like birds escaping a net, very few have true insight and develop Nibbana, develop, develop awakening. Very few. Now think about this too. During the Buddhist time, he's making that declaration. Even with a Buddha doing, teaching the Dhamma, excuse me, even with the Buddha teaching his Dhamma, there's still very few that will actually take to the Dhamma and awaken. Swans follow the sun's path. Worldly people hope to pass through the air by psychic powers. Most all of modern Buddhism, every, um, every faction that I've come across until I came to the Buddha's Dhamma claim that one aspect of awakening, in other words, you'll know that you're awakening when you have developed psychic powers. And this is not the only sutta where the Buddha just laughs at that idea. But, but a lot of people think that, that if, if, I'm, uh, if I'm truly awakened, I'll be able to, to travel among the stars, disincarnate myself at will. I'll be able to read people's minds, etc., etc. The Buddha always laughed at that because those are, those are non-human traits. They're irrelevant, even if it's somehow possible to develop it. Imagine if I was the one, the one person in the world that was clairvoyant, could disincarnate at will and all the rest of it. What good would that do me in developing my own understanding? It would only separate me further from other human beings, wouldn't it? But of course, they're not possible anyway for human beings. It's only by trickery, meaning self-trickery, that we develop these things. The wise overcome Mara and the world. Again, Mara is, is metaphor for ignorance. The wise overcome Mara and the world. The liar who has violated this one law is scorned forever. There is no evil they would do. Miners are bound to the world. Fools scoff at generosity. When the Buddha is talking about, he always said that, we're, that generosity relates to sharing the Dhamma. It's, and of course, it's, it, it isn't, it's not um, diminishing the need for generosity, I meaning giving somebody a bowl of food if they need it. But in the Dhamma, the most generous thing we can do is to be generous with the Dhamma. The fools scoff at such generosity. The wise share the Dhamma freely. This alone brings lasting happiness. Better than being sovereign over the entire world, than, I'm sorry, better than being sovereign over the earth and the heavens is the completion of the Eightfold Path. That's tonight's talk. Um, 
Listen, Kevin, since you're on screen, what do you have to say for yourself tonight? Uh, nice to be here with everybody. Uh, I'll take double silence. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm fine. Nice to be with everybody. Um, when I read this, what I was thinking is that I don't really live in the world. I mean, I live in my, my, my home base is my mind body and yep. I just interact with the world. That's and when I follow the eightfold path, I'm interacting with the world in a skillful way. Beautifully said. That is, that's, that's it. It that's, makes sense to me. Too. Yeah. That's the Dhamma. Who, who is who is speaking? Oh, okay, Josh, how are you? That was Jane. Oh, I know it was Jane. I thought somebody. I heard somebody speak in the background. Thank you, Jane. I'm glad you joined us tonight. Josh, how are you tonight? Hi, John. There you are. Good, John. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I, I too am just going to listen tonight. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. I think that's. Everyone that's online, let me just Michael. check. Oh, yeah, Michael and Julia. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hello, Michael. Hello, Julia. Oh, hello, John. There Hi, you are. How are you both? Uh, we're doing all right. We're doing okay. Um, <laughs> um, I just, uh, I, I think it's really important to uh, our I try to uh, look at things this way. I, I try to recognize what is the not-self, anatta. Mm -hmm. And if I can recognize what is the not-self, then I know that this is not something I should be concerning myself with because it's not going to lead me anywhere but to further suffering and uh, despair, so to say. So uh, I'm trying to practice that and to be you know, cognizant of when it occurs. And uh, I find when I am, um, it actually enables me to disentangle from from the world and it creates a little, it creates space in the mind. Yeah. And uh, I, my mind is less cluttered and I can actually see clearer and, and discern, uh, you know, our reality a little better. Yeah. A lot better. Thank you, Michael. Hello, Julia. That's all I got. That was pretty good. Hi, John. How are you? Um, I wrote something down, but I'm good. I'm, I'm good today. <laughs> How is everybody? <laughs> I think we're all good. Um, I wrote, uh, <laughs> I like the line that says that, um, the living death of ignorance does not touch the wise who know the world is a bubble like a mirage. Um, the living death of ignorance is the constant cycle of death and rebirth into the continual and in, in, into continual ignorance and into continuing continuation of this process of, of birth, rebirth, you know, death, rebirth, and, con and constant independent origination. Um, when we ignore with the wisdom of the four noble truths, we dwell in that state of death and yep. the world. The world is a bubble and like a mirage, it is an illusion and impermanent. And so that's what we have to, we have to come to recognize that our, our own, our own ignorance and confront that. 
Um, the other thing I really liked was I liked that the line, I think that you probably, uh, that was probably your interpretation in there, but I like the line that says the importance of wise associations, particularly, particularly and conceptually, yep. uh, the wise associations, because usually we think of wise associations, well, they're people outside of ourselves, but it's also within our, within our mind, our, yep. our own, uh, right speech. We need, to, we need to maintain right speech and not, and, and, and guard ourselves from wrong speech. And so those are the wise, wise associations within us that we have to guard against, to make sure that we are following the uh, Eightfold Path. Yeah. That's, that's all I, uh, that's what I got from that, Uta. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the uh, reading. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Julie, for that great insight. The, the, the wise associations is a, is a constant underlying theme throughout the, the Buddha's Dhamma. And in a very practical way, what we associate ourselves with, we will become. And so it's both um, practical, physical associations, such as the people we hang with. And as far as Dhamma practice, we associate ourselves with other Dhamma practitioners as far as our Dhamma practice. When we start associating ourselves as, as part of our Dhamma practice with those that aren't practicing the Dhamma, that's a foolish association. And of course, it doesn't mean we shouldn't talk to other people or even associate with other people, but as far as Dhamma practice, we associate that we should, we associate with a well-focused, well-informed Sangha. And then at a much more subtle level that you were speaking of, Julia, it's what we associate to and within our thoughts that ultimately defines our life experience. And so when we associate with the wisdom of the heartwood of the Dhamma, we'll develop awakening and be able to maintain it. If we associate ourselves and identify through that association with anything else, things of the world, then we are entangled of the world. We are now dwelling in the world. Uh, you, and you described it beautifully, Julia. Thank you. I'm glad you both joined tonight. Good evening, David. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Good evening, John. Uh, it, this whole series just seems to be, in part, the Buddha talking to the teachers and the Sangha about what is his Dhamma. Yeah. And remind them to not stray off, have bad associations. Yep. And to accommodate and to embellish and to change. And he says it over and over again. And you see that, I don't know if it's frustration or he's trying to really get the point across and maybe within yeah. the Sangha at that time he can see uh, members not staying on the direct right. path. So it just seems over and over again reminders about you know having a, a, an appropriate practice yeah. that's tied directly to the heart. Yeah. It's beautifully said, David. I'm sure that's what it is too. That the Buddha was, um, he he always taught situationally, whatever was arising, what he saw, and so again, even during the Buddha's time within his own sangha, he saw people trying to incorporate other things, much as like what's happened here in our, happened much more frequently way back. Oh, there it is. Almost lost it. Um, but you find something that seems valuable, or at least seems loving or whatever that whatever you might think about it and so you want to bring it into your dhamma practice you want to associate with it 
but it's outside of the Dhamma. And the, the, the Buddha consistently warned repetitively over and over again, be mindful of your associations. Be mindful of it. It took a while for that to, to, to really get through to me and how how I was um, how I was continually confused and frustrated, but I couldn't see it because I was associating with the dharmas and the people that were confusing and frustrating to me. But because I also wanted to be approved of them, and many of them I really liked them as human beings, I did not want to face the fact that that was something that was that would ultimately be my downfall as far as Dhamma practice was concerned. Wise association is a key to the Dhamma. Thank you, David. Hello, Tim. Hello, hello, everybody. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I really uh, liked what, um, what everybody's saying. And also, to touch upon what Michael and Julia were uh, getting at, I kind, of, I kind of got the same vibe from this chapter. Um, with regard to a living death relating to the non-self. Um, that when we, and that first line, that first stanza uh, is, do not associate with what is offensive, do not live mindlessly, abandon fabricated views. So if, if we are fabricating our views and the world and dwelling in the world, with these fabrications, we are suffering. Yes. We are, we are not, we are living the non-self. We are the li living death. And yep. I think that's what the Buddha is trying to say there. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's right. That's and right on. He, he really emphasized it by stating even further that the world is blinded by this ignorance. Yep. Uh, because if, if we're stuck in this fabrication, we can't see it. So we're just meandering along and I think the Buddha was warning us like that what you just said when we start associating we start des we start desiring to be with that association we can get caught up in in that fabrication and yeah. the other thing I got out of this it doesn't really mention it um, I think you mentioned it in your in your comments is that and I don't know if I'm on the right track here but the natural world, the natural, the purity of the self, it's there. It just needs to be let out. Yeah. And once it's let out, we can use the Eightfold Path to maintain it. Um, we, we, we don't have to learn it. It's there. It, we've, we've snubbed it, or I'll speak for myself. I've pushed it back with my fabrications. Yeah. And once I once I strip away those fabrications, that pure self, that purity, can come out, and then I can maintain it with the eightfold path and stay with it. Yes. And I think I don't I don't know why I got that out of this because it doesn't Buddha doesn't really directly state that, but I kind of felt that towards the end as I finished it. Yeah, you got it because you understand the whole point of the Dhamma. It, it, it it's such a um... Such a beautiful way, an important way of saying it, that we're letting we're letting our pure self out. The Buddha talks about his life before the Dhamma, his life on the palace grounds, but but being entangled in the world in general as a confining place. What's it confining? It's confining our pure self. It's a prison. It's a prison that we of our of our own making. 
that unless we recognize that we've made it, there's no escape, is there? But once we recognize it, the prison gates are open. And we just we walk out a pure, awakened human being. And it's just like that. We're not becoming something other than what we truly are, which is a human being. Right. So, John, is that the third noble truth should be realized? Yes. And the fourth noble truth is to be developed. Yep. So. That's, that's exactly it. You often say develop and maintain. Well, it, yeah, that, that's the that's the that's the commitment, isn't it, yeah. of an awakened human yeah. being? It doesn't. Again, it's it's kind of the myth that well, we awaken and poof, you know, we're good to go. Well, we are in one sense because now we have an awakened point of view, but we could we could decide to to not. I mean, we're we're an awakened human being doesn't lose their free will to become ignorant again. It's up to us. And there's always temptations in the world. I got a question a few years ago now. I mentioned it often. Uh, it was a beginning student, but it, it was almost a desperate question the way he asked it. Why did the Buddha keep meditating after he was awakened? The implication was meditation is a chore. Of course, the Buddha kept meditating. Why? Because he was an awakened human being. What else would he do? But, but meditate in the other things he did. This, the awakening is not a static a state of mind in fact it's just the opposite it is, it is constantly dynamic constantly meaningful and we're constantly coming back to that gentleness and that purity such a good word and we stay out of that confining space of our own ignorance the living death of ignorance the Buddha would consistently refer to that refer to the effects of ignorance as like a living death and when you think about that when I'm ignorant of what it truly means to be a human being I can't live as a human being, can I? I'm living that fabricated self, that, that self that, that can only dwell in the fantasy of the world that I created myself. Of course, it's reaffirmed by everyone else. Or I can take to the Dhamma and see things clearly. What's the difference? The difference is that I'm now living with a calm and peaceful mind no matter what occurs. And so now, as an awakened human being, I can look out on the world and I can see the world as a flame with what? A flame with a fire as a passion. But it no longer affects me. I just see it as it is. Just like what's going on today, isn't it? Just like we discussed on our when we had breakfast the other day on Saturday. We recognize the things of the world. We recognize clearly the effects of ignorance on the world. But it doesn't affect us. But of course, it doesn't mean we're immune to it. That's not what that, that would that would imply that we are somehow completely devoid of any worldly life. We just don't take it personally. And it's such a simple and subtle thing. There's nothing personal with Datu Hubanga Sutta. Great class tonight. I'm sorry about the, uh, the Zoom difficulties. As we we're going through class, I think I realized what the problem is, so I, which means I could probably fix it before our next class. Uh, <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Um, and like I said, I don't know if you had any difficulty with the connection at all, but we'll have a Wi-Fi connection back here in the center, I think, by the end of the week. So um, the other, the, I, I know I've mentioned a few times, our retreat is on. I just, <coughs> excuse me, I updated the retreat page, um, but I'll send a notice out uh, probably this week with just the, uh, the safety protocols that we're going to be observing uh, on retreat. So uh, if you can go to the retreat page now and look at it, or you can just wait until you get the email. 
Um, I think that's it. Well, uh, and oh, to remind everyone, Rom's going to be teaching uh, this Saturday's class. That really should be something special, like all of our teachers. But, uh, we'll finish with Metta, as we always do. The Buddha's words on Metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in, the, in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. See you all. Thank you, John. Feel better, Mike. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.